chapter 4. And I want to continue the series and, and finish out the series today that I've called Showdown in the Desert. Showdown in the Desert. And as you're turning to Matthew 4, let me remind you that um, Wednesday nights we've begun a new series on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Kathy and I were looking back there at um, the numbers that have been here on Wednesday nights, and every week it's grown. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I want to just let you know that God's blessing it, and I just have a sense uh, of expectancy with this, this series. I've never taught on most of these things. I've been digging in some fresh new areas, and it's really rich. And this Wednesday night, we're going to be dealing with the deity of the Holy Spirit. He's not a person. I mean, he is a person. There I go, blowing my own message. He's not a, a, an it or a thing or an impersonal force. But the Holy Spirit is a person, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so when I talk this Wednesday night about the deity of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to show you that it's God the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit is here today. Amen? All right, Matthew 4, verse 8. Let's stand to read four verses. We're continuing in the showdown in the desert. Jesus is being tempted by the devil. And this is the third temptation we're reading about, the third and the last one, beginning in verse 8. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only, him only, exclusively, uniquely shall you worship. Father, thank you for your word today. I know that there is not a person in this room that does not experience temptation and even, Lord, in the arena we're talking about today, I pray for wisdom to be granted us in Christ's name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. <laughs> I'm calling this message today, shortcuts, shortcuts. Now, we saw last week that the sin of presumption, which is taking advantage of God's love assuming that no matter what we do, he's going to cover it. No matter what I do, God's going to cover it. That's the sin of presumption. And that's why David said, keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sin. Presumptuous sin is when you just assume God's going to cover whatever you do because you're just so blessed or you're so special or you're so unique. That's presumptuous sin. Now, today we're going to look at the third temptation, the third one of Jesus in the showdown in the desert with his arch foe, the devil. And I want to bring you up to speed here. This is immediately following the baptism of Jesus Christ in water. Jesus walks down to the River Jordan. John the Baptist is baptizing people. He sees Jesus. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus stepped into the water and said, baptize me. John said, you ought to be baptizing me, not me, you. And Jesus said, suffer it to be so. I've got to fulfill all righteousness. Baptize me. And Jesus set a pattern of water baptism for all of us. When Jesus came up out of the water, 
It says the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. And there was a voice, an audible voice, heard at that baptism by Jesus and all who were there. It was the voice of God and the voice said, Behold, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Bible says at that moment, the same Spirit that descended on him drove him into the wilderness. And 40 days and 40 nights he fasted. And at the end of those 40 days, the arch foe of God, the devil, Satan, Lucifer, approached him. Trembling in weakness, Christ was. 40 days, 40 nights in a lonely wilderness, no one to fellowship with, no one to talk to. The hyenas, the wolves howling at night and the burning sun beating down every day. The devil came to him in his vulnerability and in his weak state and hit him with three temptations. He tempted him to turn the stones into bread, taking advantage of his physical hunger. And I want you to notice, Satan knew he was hungry. And we need to understand he is a defeated foe, but he's not an ignorant or stupid foe. As I read these temptations and study them, I find that Satan knew a whole lot about Jesus. And he knows a whole lot about you. We need to remember, those of us who are now saved and born again, walking with Christ, that once we were sinners, living in sin, living in the darkness, and Satan remembers what our weaknesses were. He remembers what took us down. He remembers what we succumbed to. He remembers what our particular iniquities were, and he plays on them. Because here he is coming to Jesus who's hungry, and he knows he's hungry. Hey, Jesus, turn these stones into bread. And he tempted Jesus to doubt the Father's care. Doubt the Father's care. The second temptation, he took him up to a high pinnacle, took him way up to the top of the temple, and said, throw yourself down. And there he tempted Jesus to presume on God's care. But this third one... Satan is now taking him to another scene for his temptation. He's catering a temptation. The whole scenario is set for a particular temptation. And he comes to him and he says, I'm going to give you, Jesus, all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world and their glory if you will bow down and worship me. Now, I want you to notice something here, that what Satan offered Jesus was what he knew Jesus' destiny was. He tempted him with what he knew was the destiny of Jesus Christ. So not only did he know Jesus was hungry, but he knew that Jesus had a destiny. What was the destiny? That one day all the kingdoms of the world would be made the possession of Jesus Christ. If you jump ahead of the book of Revelations, you'll read that all of these things were given to Jesus Christ. Revelations eleven fifteen says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven. And what did those loud voices say? It said, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever and forever. So I see in the book of Revelation as John looked down the tunnel of time, he said the destiny of Jesus Christ is that all the kingdoms of the world would be his. So notice, Satan came to Jesus tempting him with what he knew, he knew was God's purpose for him. You say, well, then, then why did he do it, Pastor Jeff? Because he was tempting Jesus to take a shortcut, 
a shortcut to God's best, a shortcut to God's will, a shortcut to God's purposes. All the kingdoms of the world, Jesus, I'm going to give to you. Look at them, look at them, look at them, look at them. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it glorious? All you got to do is bow down and worship me, and I'll give them to you. In the three temptations of Jesus Christ, I see a, a similar tactic in every one of them, and it's the same thing he uses with you and me. The temptation to obtain the wrong way what we should obtain God's way. The temptation to get the right thing the wrong way. Not in one of these temptations did Satan tempt Jesus based on some illegitimate desire or need or want that Jesus had. He tempted Jesus to get a very right thing. Nothing wrong with being hungry. Nothing wrong with walking in God's purpose for yourself. There's nothing wrong with being promoted into your ministry, into your calling. Not anything wrong with it. But in every temptation, he tempted Jesus to get it the wrong way. And this is one of Satan's finest tactics with you and me. He wants us to get the right thing the wrong way via a shortcut. The first temptation, doubt the Father's care. The second temptation, presume on the Father's care. Third temptation, get God's purpose by shortcuts and compromise, not sacrifice and obedience. See, I want you to catch today, church, that the enemy knew what he wanted and he knew what God's best for him was. And he tried to sabotage it by tempting Jesus to get it in an illegitimate way. He does the same thing with you and me as we're going to see in just a minute. I want you to say with me, shortcuts don't work. There is no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. There are no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. Today when Kathy and I were coming to church, somebody called us, thank God, on our cell phone and said, I-35 is shut down to one lane, so you don't want to come this way because we're sitting here stuck in traffic. And I'm so glad that if there's a shortcut in Fort Worth, Kathy knows it. And she was driving. And so she got us here. I'd, I'd have been lost. I would have called somewhere along the way and said, I'm, I don't even know where I am. Y'all pray for me and have good church. But Kathy knows the shortcuts. And you know, there's a lot of times that shortcuts are good things and you're smart if you know the shortcuts. But what I want you to see today is that when it comes to obtaining God's will, his destiny, his purpose, his best, there are no shortcuts. You've got to do it God's way. You're only going to get God's best by doing it God's way. And I'm going to tell you what God's way is. It's three simple words. God's way is always the way of obedience, patience, and faith. Obedience, patience, and faith. That's how you get God's best. That's the way it's always been in the Bible, and that's the way it is with you and me. God gives you a desire. He gives you a dream or something you want. There's something that God has put on your heart, and you're believing God for it. It might be money. It might be a relationship. I mean, we all have desires. We live with them every single day. But see, it matters how you get your bread. It matters how you arrive. It matters how you arrive where you're going. God's way is always the way of obedience, patience, and faith. Listen to the Bible. In Hebrews it says, we are to be followers of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so how do you inherit God's promises? By faith 
and patience and obedience. He said, Samuel said to a backslidden King Saul, he said to him, sacrifice is not as great as obedience. Obedience trumps sacrifice. God honors obedience. So there's only one way to get God's way. There's only one way to achieve God's goals. There's only one way to really enjoy the fullness of the blessing of God. We all have desires. We all have goals. We all have things we want. But it's how you get them. And there is a way. In God's way, in God's method, it is obedience, patience, and faith. Can we say those three things together? Obedience, patience, and faith. Obedience, patience, and faith. That's God's way. Now, Satan comes to Jesus, and I want you to notice this. Here he is, 40 days and 40 nights. He's already defeated him in two temptations. And the Bible says, again. Now, I want you to notice, if there was an again with Jesus, there's an again with you and me. I mean, if if Satan didn't give up on the Son of the living God, he's not going to give up on you and me until we soundly defeat him. Because it says, again, the devil came to him and said, hey, Jesus, Let me just kind of bring to your mind, Son of God. Okay, you've convinced me. You're the Son of God. You didn't turn the stones into bread, and you didn't leap off that high temple. You got me. But Jesus, you know what your destiny is. Let's talk about it. Your destiny is that one day all the kingdoms of the world are going to be yours and their glory. Right, Son of God? Isn't it interesting? Every time the devil came to him, he was right in what he said but he was wrong in his application of it. So he says, yeah, son of God, so let me tell you how to take a shortcut and get what you want right now. You want it, you got it. All you got to do, and there's always a hook. All you got to do, there's just a little, oh, here's the rub, here's the deal. I'll give you exactly what you want. You can get it. You can take a shortcut, but here's the deal. You got to fall down and you got to worship me. That's all. Just fall down, son of God, and worship me and everything you want. It's going to be at your beck and call. And here was the temptation. Delayed versus immediate gratification. Now, let me tell you something about maturity. Immature people cannot handle delayed gratification. Immature people want what they want when they want. I read recently that there was a fast food restaurant that has now figured out how to get it to you even faster. I guarantee you the day will come, you'll drive through, and they'll have something that just shoots it into your mouth. And you can eat it and digest it on your way out. Because we want when we want it, and we want it now We're in the culture of the microwave. We want it quickly. We don't like waiting. But listen, spiritual maturity is recognizable by the ability to wait on God. Spiritual maturity is recognizable by the ability to wait on God. And Satan hopes that we have not gotten to a place in maturity where we are able to wait on God and do it God's way by obedience patience and faith. He hopes we remain immature because immature people cannot handle the word wait. When you pray for something, God says either yes, no, wait, or I can't believe you asked for that. (laughs) 
And I got to tell you, there's things that I prayed for in my life. I'm so glad he didn't answer it. But at the time, I thought it was, oh, come on, Lord. But God knew better. And because I was able to go in obedience and patience and faith. See, that deflects so many things wrong that would come into your life if you were not walking in obedience, patience, and faith. The hook in the temptation was bow down and worship me. Now, I don't think that the devil was really tempting him just to bow down right there and just do some kind of obeisance like that and go through some motion and then he would have had everything he wanted. No, 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 no. Here's, I think it meant more of this. It meant, it meant buying into Satan's way of living life, his way of doing things, his attitude towards God. It meant living contrary to the Word of God. It meant buying into the lie that is so prevalent in our day. And here's the lie. The end justifies the means. The end justifies the means. What I want is so important to me, it is so wonderful, so spectacular, so irresistible, so worthy of everything I've got that I will sacrifice the way I get it. I will sacrifice character to get it. The philosophy of our day is it doesn't matter how you get there as long as you get there. The end is so important that how you arrive at the end is negotiable. We see it happen all the time in our news. Just this week, one of the chiefs of Enron was sent to 24 years of prison. One day, in Jeffrey Skilling's mind, he said, I want to be rich, so rich, so fabulously wealthy, rich. I see that goal. I'm going to take a shortcut to get there. And I'm going to get what I want illegitimately, but that's okay because the end justifies the means. But you see, our God, and I want you to remember I said this, mark this down in the far reaches of your memory. Let it be branded on your brain. God cares more about how you get what you get than what you get when you get it. Somebody wisely said, I love this statement, your arrival is not near as important as what you become on the way. Because with every vision, there is, there is the promise, and there is the preparation, and then there is the prize. And it is so easy to get the promise and say, I want that prize, and we want to circumvent the preparation. But with every call and every purpose and every goal of God, everything he has for us out there, there's going to be a preparation between the promise and the prize. There is a preparation. And that preparation hammers out your character so that when you get to the prize, your character can handle it. We got to understand as believers the Bible says that God is going to make every single thing that happens to us in our life work together for the good of his purpose. And what is God's purpose? It says his purpose, his number one, numero uno purpose is that we would be fashioned into the image of God's son. 
So when you go through pain, he never wastes a pain. He causes that pain to serve his purpose of fashioning in you the character of his son. When you go through blessings, he uses those blessings to fashion in you the character of his son. He makes everything on earth that happens to you in your life that filters through his fingers and his hands. He makes it bow down and serve the purpose of fashioning you into the image of his son. Satan was offering Jesus a shortcut through compromise. And when you compromise, you get there at the expense of character. If you compromise and you take a shortcut and you get a right thing in a wrong way, you're going to find out that you don't want what you thought you wanted as much as you thought you wanted it. You're going to find out that once you got what you wanted, you don't want what you got now that you got it. Because you got it illegitimately. And there can't be a blessing on it unless it goes through the sifter, through the way, through the method, God's method of obedience, patience, and faith. Obedience, patience, and faith. Obedience, patience, and faith. You got to be sure that when you get there, you got there by the rules. But I discipline my body, Paul said, and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Mm, 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 mm. Now, Abraham did this. We know Abraham did it. God said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. And from that son, you're going to have as many descendants as the stars in the sky or the grains of sand on the seashore. He said, Abraham, it's going to be yours. Abraham said, praise God. He received the promise. So did Sarah. And they waited 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 and waited and waited some more. And they were Walking in obedience, patience, and faith. Obedience, patience, and faith. But one day, Sarah said, I'm sick of this waiting. I'm sick of God's method. I'm tired of this. See Hagar, my handmaid, go have relations with her and have a child by her. And we'll just take a little shortcut here. And I'm tired of waiting on God's way. We'll do it our way. She picked up the Frank Sinatra philosophy totally. I did it my way. She did it her way. And that baby was born, and we're in a war in Iraq because of it today. Moses was called by God to be the, the deliverer of the children of Israel. And he knew it. As he was being raised and growing up and came into young manhood, he said, I'm called to be a deliverer. I'm called to be a deliverer. And so he sees an Egyptian beating up and abusing, whipping one of the children of Israel. He said, here's my moment. He stepped in, grabbed the Egyptian, killed him, buried him in the dirt, and had to flee Egypt for 40 years because of it. And on the backside of the desert, he learned the right way. Obedience, patience, and faith. Obedience, patience, and faith. Obedience, patience, and faith. So, folks, there's no quick way to get there, but I'll tell you this. If the children of Israel walking through the wilderness had known what their children found out later, that all they had to do was walk in obedience, patience, and faith, they would have reached the promised land within two weeks. But they waited 40 years going around the same mountain, going around the same failure, the same circle of despair 
And all because they didn't walk in obedience, patience, and faith. But you know what? There was another hook. There was another hook in this temptation. Satan's temptation concealed a diabolical motive that I never realized until I really began to think this through. To move Jesus, he wanted to move Jesus to circumvent the cross. He wanted to move Jesus to circumvent the cross. See, if Jesus had bowed down and worshiped the devil, given into him, bought into his lifestyle, taken a shortcut, he would have never gone to the cross. If he had never gone to the cross, there'd be no church, there'd be no redemption, there'd be no forgiveness. There would be no cleansing. There would be no heaven. There would be no hope. We would be without God and without hope in a world of despair and suffering and shame and desperation. If Jesus, that's why the stakes were so high in the showdown in the desert. Because he was trying to stop Jesus from going to the cross. He said, look, get everything coming to you now. But Jesus knew no cross, no crown. No cross, no glory. I'm going to go up by going down. I'm going to go up by servanthood. I'm going to give my life away. And by doing that, I'm going to save many lives. Can I tell you, Jesus did not come to be some first century, long-haired, blue-eyed hippie like we see on most church walls. No, no. He was a Jew's Jew. Jesus didn't look pretty. He wasn't fine to look at. He was not a looker. He was not somebody you stared at because of his physical appearance. No, no, no. Jesus was a Jew. And Jesus came to die on the cross. He did not come to be a neat teacher. He did not come to be a volunteer, inspirational personality. Jesus came to die on the cross. Jesus came to die. Jesus came to die. That's why we call it Good Friday. Even though that Friday was bad, it was dark. On that day at high noon, it drew black as midnight. On that day, they tortured the Son of God. They nailed him on a cross. His blood spilled down that old rugged tree. But we call it Good Friday because that's the day our sins were covered and redemption took place. So it's a good Friday. And Satan knew that. So he said, bow down and worship me, Jesus. Come on, get what's coming to you now. Why wait? Why go through the cross? And Jesus said, I'll tell you why. Because no cross, no redemption. No cross, no forgiveness. No cross, no defeat of the devil. So Jesus went all the way to the cross stretched out his arms and his feet and they crucified him to that tree for you and for me and because he did it Satan lost death he lost hell and he lost the grave oh death where is your sting and grave where is your victory he took it from the devil Hidden in every temptation you experience is Satan's desire to destroy your purpose. To destroy your purpose. He dangles delectable delights before your eyes, all the while concealing what he's really after. He wants to destroy your purpose. He offers shortcuts to God's will. He'll even offer you God's best the wrong way. 
God wants you to prosper, but not by cheating on your taxes. He wants you to have fulfilling relationships, but not someone else's wife or husband. He wants you to have a ministry to other people, but not at the expense of getting there by your own promotional methods. He wants you to have peace, but not through a false god. In other words, Jesus, obviously, and and as believers, get this now, to the Son of God who we say, we serve, and we follow, the means to the end mattered. He stood on the word of God and looked that brazen devil in the eye. Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now I'm going to give you the revised, wickwire, slanted version of that verse. Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall live by God's values, his way of doing things, and his methods for success. And you shall not achieve God's purpose by compromising shortcuts. I will achieve his purpose for me by obedience, patience, and faith. Be gone. And he lived among us. He went to the cross. He died for our sins. And he rose from the dead. And you know what? We're just not far off from the end of things as we know them. And when he wraps this whole world up like a scroll, and the end of time as we know it is brought to a close, God's going to say to Jesus, now all the kingdoms of this world are yours and their glory. And he's going to inherit what Satan tried to get him to take illegitimately. Where are you being tempted to take a shortcut? Where are you being tempted to take a shortcut? With money, it won't be blessed. Sexual fulfillment, it won't be blessed if it's sex outside of marriage or adultery. Say, are you kidding? No. Sex outside of marriage is called fornication. And don't tell me, well, God understands. If you believe that, you've taken a shortcut. I mean, can I just tell the truth a little bit here today? It got so quiet just then you could drop a pin on a shag carpet and hear it. Well, Pastor Jeff, you're you're talking in a way to take all the fun out of life. No, it does not. It saves you from agony, from giving your body and your soul to someone who just moves on down the road and leaves you feeling hollow and empty and used. It saves you from being told, well, here's what we found in the test. Trying to be a killjoy. I'm telling you what God taught. Fornication is a word that means sex before marriage. And that's one of the great shortcuts people take. Say, well, I have this need. Jesus had a need. That's right. 
It'll save you many a tear. Many a tear. So what shortcut? What is it? The enemy is successful. And if you're already in a shortcut, I've got good news for you today. God is a forgiving God. And God is a gracious God. And he's a restoring God. And I'm not here to condemn you. Listen, I know we all struggle in these things. I'm just showing you his way is obedience, patience, and faith. And then you get there. So can we stand together today? Now, I'm feeling a little bit of an anointing to just continue with something real quick. Because there's such a, a, oh, I don't know, such propaganda out there, you know, the whole thing on fornication. Well, you know, people come to me and say, well, you know, we're living together, but we're going to get married. And, and we've had our own marriage ceremony between us and God. Let me just tell you something. When, when Kathy and I were dating... Um, she started wondering if I was different. <laughs> now, I'm just telling you, you can just chew the meat and spit out the bones. But I was teaching the Bible and I was preaching and, you know, I just didn't trust the flesh. I believe dating ought to be a lot of talking. Because you connect with your soul your soul's first. That's God's way. The devil's way is you connect physically first and then your soul's. And what you don't realize, if you connect physically first, you short circuit your potential to get to know somebody's spirit. So I had a vague understanding of this. And so I would only take her to Bible studies and I wouldn't let us get alone very much. So one day she... (laughs) We were at this house. Should I tell this? I'm going to tell it. I'm just telling it. We were at a ho- this house where um, we knew the couple that lived there. And all of a sudden, they tell us, well, we got to leave. I said, well, where are you going? Well, we got some plans. And all of a sudden, we're in this house and alone, empty for hours. So I said, Kathy, let's go for a walk. Well, she started thinking, is there something wrong with me? And I said, no. And so finally she said, are you different? (laughs) And I said, no, I'm very much normal. That's why I'm trying to be different. And I told her, I explained to her that I really think the way you get to know someone, and I'm, I mean this, is verbal, verbally. You're not buying a car. You don't test drive somebody. Now watch. Now watch. Say, well, pastor, you know, we just, uh, you know, just get involved a little bit of, French kissing and so on and so forth. Say, French kissing. All I'm saying is this. Talk. 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 Can you say it with me, talk? Because, see, the enemy will come 
here particularly with the shortcuts and you find yourself feeling used and empty, taken advantage of, lied to, deceived over and over again. And that is not God's way. That's all I'm saying. Is it easy? No, no, no. You have to have your mind made up before you ever even begin dating. And so we did a lot of talking, went to a lot of Bible studies, a lot of Bible studies, a lot of restaurants. I'm just telling you. I mean, you, you don't have to. Now, if you fail there, you ask forgiveness and you keep going and you still set your mind to walk in it. But that's just one example of so many different ways you can take a shortcut and the shortcut cuts you short. And that's why it's called a shortcut. So I want to pray for you today. I hope you don't mind me having gone there. Uh, You know, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not condemning anybody. The urge to merge is normal. But, but you've got to make up your mind before you ever get there. (laughs) Can you come pray, Kathy? She's down there. She's dying a thousand deaths. What is he going to say next? It's good. It wasn't in your notes, though. I, no. I didn't see that anywhere in your notes. No. It wasn't in my notes. <laughs> that was what you call ad lib. But you know, it's really true. And it's, they say just, I think this week or last week, they, for the first time ever, more of the population of America now is single than married. So it's very, very timely work. We need, we need this, you, you know. So I don't want to see any of you feeling used, abused, lied to, deceived, none of that. Right. That's the way God and made it. So the culture says it's okay. God's, culture word, lies to us God's every day. word doesn't change. That's right. Amen. So let's pray together. Can we, Father, I just thank you for your word. And I know, Lord, that we live in a real world with real temptations. And I pray, help us to set our minds and our faith on walking in obedience, patience, and faith. And letting what we have come to you, trusting your care, your timing, and your method. In Jesus' name. Now, Steve is going to play for just a moment. If there is a shortcut in your life now, would you consider giving it to God and asking him to help you? Just consider it. This word may be saving you all kinds of pain in the future. Because shortcuts lead to pain. So as he plays, would you pray and say, Lord, this area in my life, there's a shortcut. And I ask you to help me to give it to you and turn to the right way. Amen.